0: You are listening to a London Review of Books
1: podcast. 10th of January After supper at the National Portrait Gallery restaurant, we go next door to the National Gallery, still after all these years a great luxury to be able to go in after hours. Walking through the galleries with the lights springing on as we pass through each door, it's always a temptation to turn aside and look at old favourites we press on to the basement of the Sainsbury Wing and the late Rembrandt show. Oddly arranged in that there are half a dozen of the great self-portraits at the start, which I somehow feel should be the climax of the show, but better for me as by the time we do get round this quite substantial exhibition, I'm exhausted. As always with Rembrandt, feel almost arraigned by the self-portraits and put on the spot. And he seems to be saying. So? The self-disgust is there and the sadness, but in a very contemporary way he's a celebrity, resenting being looked at while at the same time, and like any other celebrity, having put himself in the way of it in the first place. Bridget goes round pretty much at my pace. Rupert is always slower and taking more in, noting the tears brimming in Lucrezia's eyes, for instance, and how she's had to half-slip herself out of her heavily brocaded dress the more easily to stab herself. He marvels at the oath of the Batavii, which, it not having much colour, doesn't touch me in the same way, though I wish I had some of the smaller dry points, Christ's preaching, for instance, if only to examine the details a child playing on the floor beneath Christ's feet, some of his hearers transfixed, others just bored. But apart from marvelling at Rembrandt's technical skill, my appreciation doesn't get much beyond the people-were-the-same-then-as-they-are-now level. I can see how touching the Jewish bride is, while always thinking it looks awkwardly posed. Look, I'm permitted to touch her breast. And the moist sadness of Bathsheba is wonderful, though Rupert, of course, notices, as I don't, the absurd hat the serving woman is wearing. One of the saints, Bartholomew in the penultimate room, has always looked to me like Arnold Bennett, the author, not my cousin the policeman. But somehow I miss seeing one of my favourites, the Kenwood self portrait against its two circles, which is there, but I pass it by. I also miss, because it is not there at all, the return of the prodigal son from the hermitage, which I have always wanted to see, and about which I once wrote the rough outline of a script. Shattered before the end, and sometimes lying full length on one of the relatively few benches to ease my aching legs, the only other visitors we see are a couple of middle-aged ladies, and a senior figure with four young people— which exactly describes them, all wearing clockwork orange-type bowler hats, and seeming, we all agree afterwards, insufficiently awed by the privilege being accorded them, which we decidedly are not, twenty years after it was bestowed, still the greatest honour that could have come my way. 15th of February Good reviews for Richard Wilson's production of Sarah Kane's Blasted at Sheffield. In such a violent play, though, I find myself spiked by my literalness, as I remember being by Mark Ravenhill shopping and fucking. If a character is mutilated on stage, blinded, say, or anally raped, or has his or her feet eaten off by rats, the pain of this, I nearly wrote the discomfort, must transcend anything that happens on the stage. A character who has lost a limb cannot do other than nurse the wound. No other discussion is possible. Not to acknowledge this makes the play, however brutal and seemingly realistic, a romantic confection. If there is pain, there must be suffering. But it occurs to me, Gloucester in Lear. Another topic concerning me at the moment is Beckett's sanitization of old age about which, knowing so little of Beckett, I may be hopelessly wrong. But Beckett's old age is dry, musty, desiccated. Do
0: Beckett's characters even smell their fingers? Who pisses? How does the woman in happy days shit? 21st of February When we went
1: to see the late Rembrandt show the other week, I noticed that in none of the rooms of the National Gallery was there the usual chair for the warder. This was of personal concern to me, as I need to keep sitting down, and with no warders on duty I'll generally sit on their chairs. An article by Polly Toynbee in this morning's Guardian explains why. Presumably, as part of the sponsorship deal for the exhibition, the wardering was outsourced so the first casualty was the warders' chairs and the warders' comfort. I have a feeling that the warders at the Met in New York don't get to sit down either. This outsourcing is presumably a prelude to outsourcing the wardering altogether, with it being done by Serco or some similar organization. Toynbee says the warders are not surprisingly opposed to this development and that the trustees are too as I hope when I was a trustee I would have been also. I'm mildly surprised that outsourcing still persists, as these days it's so generally discredited.
0: 13th of April Rereading Portnoy's complaint, I'm not surprised at Dad's
1: reaction when he found it in my bookcase at Wood Lane 50 years ago. In some misguided missionary zeal that makes me cringe even to remember, I may actually have recommended it. Because if it shocked him then, it shocks me now, though I don't imagine he read more than a few pages before putting it back and never mentioning it again. He'd probably have been hoping it was going to be more along the lines of Nancy Mitford, who, slightly to my surprise, he found very funny. Fifty years later, Portnoy still makes me laugh, and to anyone shy or, an unlikely thought, thinking themselves wicked for wanking, the book is an emancipation, though without being in the least bit erotic.
0: The style is still a delight. 8th of May. A feeling of bereavement in the streets.
1: I shop for supper, and unprompted— A grey-haired woman in the fish shop bursts out. It means I shall have a Tory government for the rest of my life. In the library they say, Good morning, though we've just been trying to think what's good about it. I wanted a Labour government so that I could stop thinking about politics, knowing that the nation's affairs were in the hands of a party which, even if it was often foolish, was at least well-intentioned. Now we have another decade of the self-interested and the self-seeking, ready to sell off what's left of our liberal institutions and loot the rest to their own advantage. It's not a government of the nation, but a government of half the nation, a
0: true legacy of Mrs. Thatcher. Work is the only escape, which fortunately moves along a little. 9th of May My birthday.
1: A nice woman in a leopard-skin coat who always speaks wishes me a happy birthday. I say that I wish it was. Why? What's happened? Last Thursday. The election. Oh, you don't want to worry about that. They're all the same. At which point, we're in Shepherd's grocery. I hear myself as very rarely— Shouting at the top of my voice, No, they are not all the same. This lot are self seeking liars, the cabinet included, and we're landed with them for another five years. She tries to calm me down, but I tell her not to bother, with other customers peeping round the shelves to see who is making all this din. She is waiting outside the shop with a cake she has brought me for my birthday, and I kind of apologise as I walk back home, I wonder how long it will be before this crew turn their attention to the
0: BBC. 20th of May, Yorkshire Around seven, Rupert shouts
1: upstairs, Look out on the lawn, now! I look out of the bedroom window, and there's something on the grass, but I don't at first even recognize it as a bird. Then it becomes plain it's a hawk which has brought down an unspecifiable bird, which is still feebly fluttering as the hawk rips into it. What is strange is that the hawk, possibly in order to give it purchase for its pecking, is spreading its wings over its prey and, as it were, cloaking it from view, though never letting up from tearing strips off the now dead bird. Eventually Rupert opens the back door and the hawk, a white flash on its breast, flies off, with, Rupert thinks, a blackbird in pursuit. All that it leaves on the grass is a smear and some feathers. Everything else, beak, claws, legs, has been eaten. It's something neither of us has ever seen before, and leaves us untalkative
0: and slightly shocked. 25th of May A woman in front of me in the green grocers, I'll be ninety tomorrow. It's disgusting. Fifth of June. Finish Adam Nicholson's book on Homer, The Mighty Dead, which
1: is occasionally over-rich, but very enjoyable. It ends, as the odyssey ends, with Odysseus's return to Ithaca and the slaughter of Penelope's suitors and the hanging of her maids, scenes of such horror They alienate whatever sympathy one might have for the returning wanderer, which is not much in my case as he seems a colossal bore and likely to be more so as time goes on. If he and Penelope had an old age, has anyone written about it? It would be like growing old alongside Field Marshal Montgomery. Otherwise life at the moment is what my mother would have called a bit of a fullock. Fullock meaning a hurry or a rush, with fullocky its adjective.
0: One thing piled on another. 7th of July. Run into Philip and
1: Kirsty French in Mark Suspensers, with Philip bent tight over his trolley
0: and using it as a walker. I ask him how he is. Dreadful. Anything specific? Knees, legs, lungs, kidneys. Shall I go on? The
1: recital is so fluent it's partly a joke, but looking at him it's hard not to believe every word. I come out, not I'm sure having cheered them up, thankful that I can still at least mount my bike and cycle away. Sixty years since I first met him, when he was a self-assured ex-paratrooper of an undergraduate at my college, His stutter used to emphasize his machine-gun wit, and already knowing everything there was to be known
0: about films, and quite definitely a man of the world. 18th of July Not having a mortgage or being otherwise in hock to the bank,
1: I'm not particularly perturbed when the Governor of the Bank of England predicts a likely rise in the interest rate. What does bother me is that, for no obvious reason that I've seen mentioned, Mr. Carney should have made his announcement in Lincoln Cathedral. Why there? And why in a cathedral at all? Are cathedrals for hire nowadays, whatever the occasion? How
0: long before one of Mr. Osborne's rallying calls to the nation is embedded in sung Eucharist? 25th of July Your honesty will
1: die. This is a woman at the annual village street market, when she sees Rupert buying an honesty plant. It will, of course, which Rupert knows, but he also knows that the dead flowers will then turn into the translucent seed pods which are its attraction. As it is, and because she somehow comes up from below, she seems like the voice of
0: doom, and the phrase becomes a family joke if the two of us constitute a family. 3rd of August, the day of Dad's death 41 years ago,
1: to Gosford Street to record Sue McGregor's programme Reunion about the two series of talking heads. The best anecdote to come out of the first series was told me by Tony Cash, who heard a lady of letters translated on French radio. In the original version, Miss Ruddock, talking about her dubious neighbours on whom she spies, remarks, Couple opposite having the tea. No cloth on. Milk bottle stuck there waiting. This has been translated, Couple opposite having the tea.
0: No clothes on. Milk bottle stuck there waiting. Eleventh of August. A strike of wardering staff at the National Gallery,
1: where it's now planned to outsource the wardering to Securitas, a firm supposedly with a wealth of experience in the field. No matter that the field also includes airports, car parks, and whatever. I've seen no protests from the trustees or anyone making the point that the warders of the National Gallery are a resource worth conserving. So various, interesting, and eccentric they are, that they don't just keep an eye on the visitors and the paintings, but are themselves part of the National Gallery's ecology. I don't know how the strike can succeed, but I hope
0: it does. Not a good trustee myself. I hope I would have made more of a public fuss. 12th of August I'm not a member of the Labour Party and so
1: can't vote. If I could, though, I'd vote for Jeremy Corbyn, if only out of hope, the hope that the better part of salvation lies not in electoral
0: calculation, but in people's aspirations. 1st of September Oliver Sacks dies my first memory of whom was when, as an
1: undergraduate in his digs in Keeble Road in Oxford, I was with Eric Corn and possibly over from Cambridge, Michael Frayne. Oliver said that he had fried and eaten a placenta. At that time, I don't think I knew what a placenta was, except that I knew it didn't come with
0: chips. 11th of September David Cameron has been in Leeds, preaching to businessmen
1: the virtues of what he calls the smart state. Smart, to Mr. Cameron, seems to mean doing as little as one can get away with and calling it enterprise. Smart, as in smart aleck. Smart of the smart
0: answer, which I'm sure Mr. Cameron has to hand. Dead smart. 23rd of September A minor breakthrough today
1: when I go to my barber's, Ossie's, in Parkway, and for the first time in my life I allow Azak the barber to trim my eyebrows. It's a cosmetic refinement I've always resisted, on the assumption that once cut the eyebrows would grow more luxuriantly and I should end up looking like Bernard Ingham, or, this is in the interests of balance, Dennis Healy. However, I am getting on, and there will scarcely be time for the development of such comparable thickets, so today I am tidied up. The last time I remember having related thoughts was when I was seventeen and had not yet started to shave. Though most of my contemporaries had been shaving for years, being fair and rather behind the rest, in my case there was no need, and I knew that once I started I should have to go
0: on. A few months later I was in the army, when the decision was taken out of my hands. 11th of October In Primrose Hill Books I
1: glance through Volume 2 of Charles Moore's biography of Margaret Thatcher, noting that it recycles Graham Turner's mendacious interview with me and other so-called artists and intellectuals, in which we are supposed to have dismissed Mrs. T. out of snobbery. This was the thesis Turner had come along anxious to prove and bore scant relation to the interview itself, which concentrated on her actual policies. It's only worth noting because it's an interview that often gets quoted, for example in Noel Annan's Our Age. I did detest Mrs. Thatcher and deplore her legacy, but she was a grocer's daughter, as I am a butcher's son.
0: Snobbery doesn't come into it. 13th of October. As floor-covering,
1: the red carpet is pretty unprepossessing, threadbare, stabbed by too many high heels, and, I imagine, weed-on by dogs. It fronts the Odeon Leicester Square for the premiere of The Lady in the Van, and penned at its edges are dozens of reporters and photographers from the nation's press. I am put to begin at one end, Alex Jennings in the middle, And Nick Heitner at the other, and the three of us work the line, though the journalists, both newspaper and radio, are so jammed together that as one is questioned and photographed by the chosen reporter, the questions and one's answers are overheard by the next, who often just reiterates them. To begin with, I try and vary my replies, but invention soon flags, and nobody seems to mind if I say the same thing three times over with three minutes max per interview. It's all very jolly. Some of them shake hands and there are occasional selfies, but even when we've been at it an hour, we haven't reached the end of the line. Then we are called inside to be shepherded with Maggie Smith through the foyer, down the back stairs and onto the stage, where we're introduced and shown to the audience by Nick. We don't have to speak and are a bit nonplussed, with the audience just wanting to get on with the film. So by the time we get back to our seats in the balcony, the film has started. It goes well, though as with other films I've done, I worry that one laugh treads too closely on the heels of the next. Still, some people are crying at the
0: end, and the audience seems to be happy. 3rd of November, New York
1: most of the day spent in a back room of the Four Seasons Hotel being interviewed with Nick Heitner and Alex Jennings by a succession of journalists. They question us about the making of the lady in the van and the story behind it, but most of all about Maggie Smith, who, because she does so little publicity, remains a creature of mystery. Alex, like me, is anecdotal, telling stories about the filming and miss Shepherd, whereas Nick Schooled by his time at the national makes what would be called bullet points about the film and how it came to be made, and so is I think a more useful interviewee. on the other hand, if an interview bores him, he finds it hard to hide, so that Alex and I become absurdly overanimated just to compensate in the evening to the New York Public Library, where I am to be made a library lion. When I said this to my friend David Vasey, librarian emeritus of the Bodleian, he remarked, Well, I just hope you're not one of those aged lions that get shot by a Midwestern dentist. A welcome joke as he's just recovering from a stroke. It's a black-tie affair which I only found out the day before we left, so I stick to my Anderson and Shepherd suit, current record, four funerals and three memorial services. As I'm leaving my coat, the attendant hands me what I take to be the coat-check, but in fact it's the lion itself on a red ribbon, which I wear all evening. Spotted, also wearing his lion, is Salman Rushdie. There are half a dozen of us being lionized, and we are lined up and photographed and made much of before going upstairs to a magnificent supper, getting
0: home thoroughly knackered about eleven. How people lead a social life is beyond me. 13th of November, Yorkshire The film
1: opens well, as they say, and here in the village people have been going down to Skipton to see it. They show films occasionally in the village hall, but whether the lady in the van will ever achieve such heights I doubt, as none of my other stuff has. Years ago, when I was still writing television plays, which didn't always go down well, one of the village ladies complained, I can't understand how he writes the plays that he does with two such lovely parents as he had. Thanks for listening.
0: For more, go to lrb.co.uk.